We are nearing the end of our series, our sermon series called Chain Reactions. And uh, we are actually um, you know, very close to, what we're, to finishing this thing. What we wanted to do is remind you that there are some books that we have recommended and even given away the last few weeks because when we were researching the subject, we did, a, like we often do, did a lot of studying, a lot of reading, and we came across some books that were just practical on the subject, and we recommended several to you and did some giveaways. And one of those books we, I want to mention again today because, first of all, we are the practical side of today's sermon came from, from some of that content was helpful to building today's sermon, and that is the book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. But I also want to recommend that to you because if you read one book on this subject, this would be the book. This is one of the best books I've read on any topic in a long time, and it's worth getting. So we are going to talk about uh, that a little bit. Before we do, I want to see some scripture together. Um, and what we're going to do is look at a passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in just a moment here. Let me give you the backstory. Um, if you've been in church a long time, there's a lot of terms that church people use that might be confusing to you if you're watching or listening and you're not you know, familiar with all the church lingo. Like we use the word gospel all the time. What is the gospel? We just constantly say that. Well, the gospel literally means good news. And that good news, of course, the, the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. That's the, the gospel technically, but the, the gospel means good news, and the good news ultimately is that God is love, that God is love, and that the, 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 what Jesus did is a demonstration, or as the most famous verse in the Bible says, that for God so loved the world that he gave his, his son, right? God demonstrated his love for us in that Christ died for us. So, so the gospel is a picture of the love of God through Jesus Christ, and that's the good news, that we are loved that God created us in love. He gave us free will and choice in love to choose to do, you know, what we, which we all want choice. We all want that freedom. But with that comes consequence. But we, we still want it. We, we like to avoid consequence, but we still want choice. And God's given us that. And then in the mess that we've made over and over again, he stepped in to redeem it. He stepped in to say that he was willing to bear our sins and offenses that we've done against him and against each other and against ourselves. And, and, and pay that price so that we don't have to. That he bore our offenses on the cross to show us forgiveness. That God wants us back more than he wants us to pay for what we've done. And so in love, he redeemed us. And then in love, he ultimately invites us back in. So Jesus on the cross showed forgiveness. His whole ministry, which was prophesied centuries and millennia before he came, pointed to a Messiah or Savior coming who would die. And in, by the way, in his life, he, he drew crowds to himself through miracles and through things he did, which drew people in to hear um, his message of hope and the good news. He told folks he was going to die and he'd rise again. People did not understand until one day he was crucified. And three days later, he rose again, just like he said. And all the countries that surrounded that, who were touched by his miracles, that were paying attention, Hundreds of witnesses who saw a risen Savior spread the hope of no longer fearing death, of having hope in God's love, of validating Jesus' message to where here we are 2,000 years later, still worshiping him and trusting in the hope of the gospel. And so today, when we hear the good news that Jesus died and rose again, we understand that it was God loving us by sending his son to show us that he wants us back in relationship with him. And so the early uh, 
followers of Jesus spread this message like crazy, and one man was named Paul. Paul, when he came to faith in Christ, became a great missionary, went to many countries and many cities and preached the good news. One place was Ephesus. Ephesus was a city, a port city, a very wealthy city, although it had its poverty and its rich people in a port city like that. Um, it, Paul, Paul went there and spent years preaching there. They worshipped uh, the goddess Diana in their religion uh, natively, and he brought the hope of Jesus Christ to that city. And, and, a, and a church was established, and people who became believers became part of that church. And there in Ephesus, Paul spent years, and later on when he left, he left his protege, Timothy, behind to carry on the ministry in Ephesus. Paul would write letters to Timothy about the church in Ephesus, and Paul would write a letter right to the people of Ephesus. So when you hear terms like the gospel, it's the good news of God's love demonstrated through Christ. And when you see these parts of the New Testament that we call books, many of them are letters. So when we come to a book like the book of Ephesians, it's Paul's letter to the, to the church, to the, to the believers in the city of Ephesus, the letter to the Ephesians. And in that letter, if you were to read it, we divided it into chapters for our easy reference points. If you were to read that letter, the first half of that letter deals with the good news of God's love, the gospel. And the second half of that letter deals with our behavior towards one another, how we treat, how we get along in our relationships, how we conduct ourselves as Christians. So the first half of the letter talks about who God is and what he's done for us. And then he gets to our behavior. And it's very important to understand that for today's talk. Because God does not start with, here's your behavior in order to then earn your standing with God. He starts in the book of Romans and Ephesians by talking about God's grace to us and what he's done for us and our beliefs and our new identity in Christ. And from there, therefore, we are empowered to be the people he called us to be in how we live. But the, but the order is very important. So in the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he's talking about how that salvation is God's gift, it's his grace, it changes everything for us. And in chapter 2, and verse 8, Paul writes this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. And that's the good news. It's something that we, we, we don't earn. It's a, it's a gift that God offers us. Again, there's that choice that he, he brings to us because he won't force himself upon us. But he, but he does such wonderful things for us. It's a gift from God that's by his grace. We are called to believe it. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Our behavior does not earn us salvation. It's not a reward that we merit. We don't do good things and become saved. We don't be, do good things and become something special to God. No, it's a gift from God by his grace. Not a reward for good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. And then verse 10, he says this. I want to break this verse down for you. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Now I want to pause there and say this. That over and over, the theme throughout the New Testament scriptures, in Paul's letters and John's letters and Peter's letters, point us to our new identity in Christ. That while all of God's creation is God's creation, that's our identity, and all of God's creation is loved by him enough to send his son to die for us, we are a loved creation. When we accept God's love, when we accept his gift of salvation, when we receive his grace, when we put our faith in him, 
we enter a relationship that is so much more our whole identity has changed. We are no longer just God's creation. We are God's children. As Paul writes elsewhere, we are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say all these things about our new identity, that we are, we are accepted, we are forgiven, we are heirs together of God's grace, we are more than conquerors, we are his children, we are a new creation, we are, uh, we are given purpose and a calling, we are ambassadors for him. We are, his, we are all these things, and a new identity comes in this relationship that we accept by God's offering and grace and God's gift through Jesus Christ. He says, we're his masterpiece. It's beautiful. For you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that word anew. This is referenced elsewhere when Paul would say that we are a new creation or a new person. Again, it's an identity issue. Before Paul gets later on to how Christians ought to behave, he begins by saying, here is you who you are in Christ. Know that first. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Don't miss it now. So, so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. It's so important to understand that what God has done for us comes first and who he has made us comes first before what he asks of us. Because so many times, and religion is good at doing this, we get the cart before the horse. We think that if we can do the good things God wants us to do, we can then become God's masterpiece. If we can do the good things God wants us to do, we can become a new creation. We can become his children. We can earn his love. We can do the good things and then become part of the family. But what, what, what the gospel clearly teaches and what the whole letter to the Ephesians teaches and what the whole New Testament message teaches is that God did what he did for us and makes us who we are in him so that we can do the good things. We don't do the good things to become identified in him. He did that for us by grace, by his love. And that new position in him gives us the strength, the ability, the, the, the path forward to do the good things he's planned for us to do. You don't, we don't do the good things to get God to love us. He, he demonstrated his love while we were still sinners when Christ died for us. But because of our identity in Christ, we can do the good things that our Heavenly Father is cheering for us and wanting us and calling us and empowering us and filling us to do. But identity first before behavior. Beliefs about ourselves, beliefs on, on him and who he makes us, beliefs before behavior. That's so important. Now, you might be looking at all this and saying, cool Bible study, Arlen. What does that have to do with habits? <laughs> it's a good truth. Are we on the same topic today? Yes. And I'll show us why as we go on here. But, but let me just transition by saying this. Have you ever thought about why it's so easy to repeat bad habits and so hard to form good ones? It's just, it just is. In fact, it's easy to stop good habits and hard to stop bad habits. Easy to start bad habits, hard to start good habits. Why is that? And of course, we're dealing with our desires and the things that are wrestling within us. But changing our habits is challenging for two, for two reasons. These are not on the screen, but follow along. First reason cha changing our habits is hard or challenging is because we try to change the wrong thing. And the second reason is because we try to change our habits in the wrong way. Now, that second reason we discussed last week. Stop trying to change our habits in the wrong way. We gave you a system, the right way to break down what a habit is and some questions to ask to help you uh, to, to a better future with, with changing your habits. But the first part, 
is that we change the wrong thing. And that's the point of what we're discussing today together. Let me get to that. There are ultimately three layers of behavior change. When you think of behavior change, think of a circle and think of layers coming out from that. Or think about an onion that you can peel the layers back of the onion to go deeper and deeper inside. In fact, I want to put a little chart up here now and kind of demonstrate this for you on the screen. And you picture these layers. There are three layers of behavior change. The first or the outer layer is changing our outcome. The second or the middle center layer is our, changing our processes. And the third or the inner layer is changing our identity. Changing our outcome, that's our goals. That's saying, I want, you know, I want to, I don't know, lose 25 pounds this year. Changing our processes, that's our systems. That's saying, I'm going to eat this, less than this many calories per day this year, and I'm going to eat this few carbs, and I'm going to exercise three to five times a week. That's our system to, to reach our outcomes. Uh, changing our processes. The third one is changing our identity. That is changing our beliefs. Our beliefs. Outcomes are about what you get. Processes are about what you do. And identity is about what you believe. What you believe about yourself and what you believe about others. Most of our problems come down to identity problems. We identify, we see ourselves and we see others in the wrong light. And it sabotages all of our processes. So we got to deal with our identity. Now, why do we say this today? Because when it comes to building habits that will last... The problem is not that one of these levels is better than the other. They're all good. All of these levels of, of change are useful in their own way. We've got to have goals for changing our outcome. If you never set a goal, you'll never try. You'll never be inspired. That's important. But the processes are important because we've got to put systems or the goals will just be dreams we give up on. But our identity is important because it's our belief about who we are. So it's not that one of these is, is more important or one is better or worse. All of these are useful. Our problem is the direction of the change that we try to affect. We try to change our directions from the outside working in, but by changing our outcomes through our processes to ultimately change our identity instead of changing from the inside, dealing with our, with our identity to lead to the outcomes we want to have. We go at it the wrong way. The right way is to come from the center. You see, with outcome-based habits, the focus is, is always on what you want to achieve. I want to achieve this goal by this time. But with identity-based habits, the focus is on who you wish to become. And what's interesting about God is when he called us, when he created us and gave us our lives and our choice, and we made a big mess, when he came in to rescue us, he didn't come in and say, if you'll change your outcomes... I'll then give you a better identity. He came and said, let me fix this and let me take care of you first. And from there, once you know who you are in me, I believe you can produce better outcomes in your life. We don't do these things to earn God's favor and earn our place in his, in his family. We are given that. And with that identity, we are given a chance to have better outcomes. And this is true on any part of life. When we try to address our problems outcome first without fixing our identity issues, we always end up having a harder road of it. But if we can start with identity, we can work back through outcomes. It's the right way to do it all. So what we do when we're looking at the outcomes is we say, well, I want to lose weight. That's my outcome. That's my goal. 
So I'm going to stick to this diet, that's my process, and then I'll be a skinny, healthy person. It's identity. And I'm simply saying that what we're doing when we do that is we're working the wrong direction. We need to decide first what, who is our identity. What, who are we becoming? Who, are, who have we been? And as of now, what shift are we making? And I understand that when you make a shift in your identity, the results aren't always immediate. When you, when you decide, for example, I'm going to start being a healthy person because I, I need to lose some weight and become healthier, that you might make that decision, but the, the outside doesn't show that. Because like we said week one, it takes a while to earn the, the reap the rewards. There's a compound growth going on. There's a long time to results. And so when you, when you didn't get into bad health overnight, right, and you won't get into a better spot overnight either, but what you can do at one moment is say, hey, a bad identity has brought me to the spot. But right now, even before the results are showing, I'm going to say that I am becoming a healthy person. I'm a health-conscious person, and that is who I am. And let that drive your habits versus trying to have outcome change who you are. We go at it the wrong way, and it's a big, big deal. You see, the most effective way to change your habits is to focus not on what you want to achieve, but on who you wish to become. And from there, the rest will take care of itself. Because if I wish to become this person, if I am this person, then I will do what that person does. Because you see, and this is so true, and you know this, we all know this when we think about it, if you want to get to the very root of a habit in your life, if you want to get to the very root of a habit, you'll often find an identity issue resting there. There's an identity issue at play at the root of our habits. An unhealthy identity creates unwise habits. And unwise habits in turn reinforce healthy identity. And it's a spiral, by the way. Once you fall into it, it's a nasty spiral. It's like a, it's like a crazy circle cycle. Like unwise identity, unhealthy identity, creates unwise habits. Those unwise habits reinforce the unhealthy identity, which causes us to have unwise habits, right? And we can, it keeps spinning around and around. It's the crazy cycle. I'm, I'm uh, depressed because I... Um, and feel like I'm, I don't get enough done, I'm too lazy, so therefore I'm going to be depressed and not do anything, which will reinforce that I'm lazy and it makes me depressed, which means I don't want to do anything, which makes me feel bad. You see, it's a cycle. I, I get anxiety, so I eat a lot. And then I gain weight, which causes me to have anxiety, which causes me... What happens is sometimes our identity and our, our habits, they feed each other like a crazy loop. We've got to break that somehow, and I'm suggesting that we start with identity and who we want to be, who we w want to be and let that drive our habits. It's hard to do the right thing from a wrong set of beliefs. That's true for any individual or any group. It's, it's the tribes that we belong to. We talked about this in, in the fall with, with social media. It's the tribes we belong to. If our tribe has a bad set of beliefs, our behavior will always be wrong because we're hard to do the right thing from a wrong set of beliefs as a group. It's hard to do the right thing from a wrong set of beliefs about ourselves. We've got to figure out who we are and who we want to be before we can deal with what we're going to do. And then if we can decide who we want to be, we can make the changes that we need to make. But it's an identity issue first. Now, I know that everyone listening is not a parent of young children or a future parent of young children. But let me say this to you parents or future parents raising a family. And please hear me. It's important, mom and dad, that we understand this. This is why it's important to build a healthy identity in our children. 
Now, you can do your best at this, and they can still get it wrong because culture will give them a bad identity. But let's not, let's not miss our part in helping them form a healthy identity. It's why I cringe when I hear parents look at their child and say, you're just stupid. You are worthless. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Those are identity accusations. When they're struggling in school and they say, you're just a, you're just a bad student. Or when they look at them and say, you're lazy. That's who you are. And I know why parents get that way. You're a rebellious little punk. They get that way, and it's not right, but they get that way because they're frustrated by the outcomes of it. They're frustrated by what they see, and, and, and so they say things in, in frustration emotionally. But be careful, mom and dad, that you aren't creating an identity issue with your children. What you, I'd rather you say is to say this to your child. Say, hey, your grades are struggling in school right now, but I know you. You have the ability in you to do better. You are a smart student, and, you have a, and I've seen you when you apply yourself, you do well. You have the ability. So let's, let's embrace who you are and not let these bad habits reflect poorly on who we know you are. Hey, your, your behavior is struggling over here, but I know you. I see a good heart inside there. I know there's, there's something in you that you, you care. You want to do the right thing. You care about people. But, but this behavior isn't matching that. Let's, let's not let this behavior take away and rob you of who you want to be and who you are. I believe in you. You have potential. Be careful that we don't contribute to the culture around us that will tear down someone's identity by what we say and the words we use. And I know that when I say that, there are adults listening today. And one of the problems that you have is you've had people in your life who, you're, you're now in your 40s or your 30s or your 50s, and you never had this given to you. Your parents or other people gave you a very poor identity of being worthless and no good and, and condemning you as a person over behavior. And, and, I, and all I can say to you is I'm sorry. Understand that sometimes our parents were broken themselves. They, they, they were given a bad set of skills and they had a lot of baggage when they raised us and they were new at parenting when they started with us and, 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 and they stumbled through it. And, and I understand that sometimes we're dealing with the baggage of, of those things and that, that can't be undone. But you can find it in Christ. You, it can be undone in Christ. You can find hope in Jesus and you can find hope in believing the truth about yourself, not the lies the enemy has told you. Through others. He's told you lies through others. But if you've been given a bad identity, let's fix that in you and let's not pass it down to another generation. Because identity is the core issue from which we can build better habits when we know who we are. Because an unhealthy identity creates unwise habits, and unwise habits reinforce an unhealthy identity. Let's not get ourselves or those we love in a crazy cycle. It's hard to do the right thing from a wrong set of beliefs. Here's what happens. When you change your identity, if you're struggling, when, you, when you're eating bad and you say, I, I, I have bad health habits because I'm an unhealthy person, your identity and your beliefs are matching up. If you were to change your identity and say, no, that's who I have been, but starting now, I am a health-conscious, healthy lifestyle person. That's who I am. Now what you're saying, you, who you are, and the habits you're struggling with are at odds with each other. And here's the problem. That's going to cause cognitive dissonance. <laughs> uh, 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 um, the thing is that a behavior that's incongruent with yourself cannot last. At some point, if you say, I'm a healthy person, but you keep eating poorly, something's going to give. And that dissonance that exists there. Either you're going to sit there and say, nope, I'm wrong. I really am an unhealthy person. That's just who I am. And change your identity back. Or you're going to say, nope, I'm a healthy person. i got to stop these habits. And you're going to bring your habits to your identity. And the reason we struggle is because we've already accepted the defeat of our bad habits is our identity. 
And we've got to change something. I'm saying start with changing the identity and let that fuel the habits to congruency because we've got to get those things together. Something will have to change. So there's so many illustrations of what I'm saying. Picture uh, two people who are being offered a cigarette. They both have history of smoking and they want to stop. Two people are offered a cigarette and the first one says, uh, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. Well, that sounds reasonable. That's a, that's a great answer. But the problem with that is what they're saying is that they still believe they are a smoker who is just trying to change their behavior and not be who they are. A second person is offered the same cigarette and says, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. Now they have been. Maybe they were yesterday or last week, but they're saying, no, I'm not a smoker. What they're saying is, that's not who I am anymore. It's a small difference, but it's a huge shift. It's a shift in identity. It's a spot where I say, I am coming from this position and I do what people do in this position rather than saying, that's just who I am. So we have to deal with the identity issue at the core of everything. So really, it's a simple two-step process, and we'll give these to you and, and, um, and um, get to a couple more verses of Scripture. Two simple step, proce- simple step process. First one is this. Decide the type of person that you want to be. Not the things you want to do, the type of person you want to, believe, to be. This is about identity and about values, not about the outcome. You have to say who, what, 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 ask yourself a question. Who is the type of person that could get the outcome that I want? What type of person can get that outcome? That's the question. Again, identity and values, not outcomes. For example, if, if, a person, if, the, if, the thing, if the habit you want to change, the thing you want to do better, you think the type of person that could do that is someone who is consistent and reliable, then decide I want to be a consistent, reliable person. And if I am that, then the habit will take care of itself. If the thing I want to do better, if a person who does that well is a person who is compassionate and empathetic, then I want to be a compassionate, empathetic person, and that kind of person will do the things I'm trying to do. But you got to start with who you are before you get to what you do. So decide the type of person you want to be. What type of person can do this? And then ask yourself, what would that type of person do? If you were with us last year, we did a whole sermon series around a question, what is the wise thing to do? And in there, he said that if you're not sure what the wise thing to do is, ask yourself, what would a wise person do? And then do what a wise person would do, because that's, that's the wise thing. So when you're trying to decide the type of person you want to be, say, what would a person who would, wants these changes, what kind of person is that? And then once I identify that kind of person, what would that person do? And that's who I want to be that kind of person, you got to start with a person first. And then the second step is this. You prove it to yourself with small wins. You decide this is who I am, and you prove it to yourself with small wins over and over again. You prove it to yourself by saying, I'm going to cast a vote. By the way, this is so important. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. So when you say, I'm going to deal with identity first, this is who I am from now on, this is who I am. Every time you do the right thing, you're casting a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Or when we take the wrong step, we're casting a vote against the kind of person we want to become. I think it's important to pick the identity first and work towards the outcomes instead of saying, let me do better and become that kind of person. No, be be that person, becoming that kind of person, and then let your actions be votes towards the type of person that you want to become. 
Now, some of you are saying, well, Arlen, that's real nice, but sometimes I make the wrong vote. I vote against the kind of person I'm trying to become. That's a problem, isn't it? And my answer is simply this. In every election, the winner is someone who does not get all the votes. Right? Just the majority. Here's what I'm saying to you. You don't have to get all the votes. You might have some bad days. You might miss stuff. You might do some things that are not true to the person you want to be. That's okay if you fail sometimes. A just person falls seven times, but they rise up again. They make votes. They do the right thing and cast a vote for who they want to be. They, they make another right step and they cast another vote for who they want to be. They abstain from a bad behavior and cast a vote for who they want to be. They stumble and make a misstep, but they don't stay down. They jump right back up and start fresh and start a new streak and casting more votes. And in the end, if the majority of the votes are for the person you want to be, even with some missteps, you'll win. That's who you are. But you've got to realize that you prove it to yourself with small wins once you embrace who you want to be first. The real reason that habits matter is not because they can get you better results, although they can, but because they can change your beliefs about yourself. And many of us, we need to deal with the identity issues. Who are you? And that's why you want right habits. Because it's a cycle. Or if I can put it this way on the screen, who we are informs what we do. Our identity, our beliefs about ourselves informs our behavior. Who we are informs what we do, and then in turn, what we do informs who we are, and it feeds itself. It's the cycle we're stuck in. So I'm saying if we're going to do something about this, this spinning world, start by addressing our beliefs before our behavior. Who are you? Who are you going to be from now on? Who are you becoming? What, what is your identity? And from there, vote for yourself. Vote for that person. One decision and step at a time. And we can do it. But who are we? That's identity. Now, Speaking of identity, as I said earlier, who you are in Christ is so important. The message of the gospel, if you are listening to this or watching this and you've never figured out, you've never addressed the gospel, I hope today will be your day to open your heart to the love of God. The gospel means good news. God loves you. He's love. And, and at a core level, not just for some kind of a, of a belief about where I'll go when I die, is there heaven waiting for me or not, or all that kind of stuff, but, but, but more importantly, who you are at the core level. The good news is that God came to show us that we are valued by him. He loved his creation, and he wants to do what he can to bring us back to himself, but he gives us the choice. And when you step in and say, God, I'll accept your love I'll believe that you care about me. I'll receive, I'll put my faith in what you've done for me. My faith is I believe you are who you said you are and you did what you said you'd do. I believe you are who you say you are and you'll do what you say you'll do. And put my faith in him, put my faith in his love and accept and receive his, his grace. My identity in him is a starting point. Your identity is a starting point. And if you've never done that, today should be the day for you to reach out and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of trying to live my life my way, of saying I can't do it because I'm not good enough, I'm not a good person, so I'm, not, I'm just not going to be a, I'm not going to be that kind of person because I can't be. Or I'm a good person, I'll get myself my own way to heaven and my own way to God's good graces, I'll earn my, 
my way through my behavior. Put all that nonsense aside and just step back and say, God is love and he loves me. And I accept that. I put my faith in that. And I accept that identity as valued and loved and as God's precious possession. And from that spot, you're a new person. And that's the catalyst to all the change you'd like to make. So Paul was writing another letter to the church of Corinth. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. We said that earlier, we are a new. A new person, a new creation. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And then to show that Paul understood what he was saying here, Paul understood that what God had done for him had given him a new identity. Paul identified not with his his task, but with who he was. In verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. That's who we are. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. He's saying, look, we're calling you back. By the way, if if you're God's creation and, and like me, you've made a mess along the way a few times and you're trying to either give up in despair or trying to earn your way back through your good behavior, just let all of that go and come back to God. His arms are open wide. His love is there for you. He has done it all. Put your faith in him and believe that you are loved and valued and accept that. Receive that. And that new identity that comes to our faith in him is the secret sauce. Verse 21, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Here's what we're going to do today as we kind of wrap up this arc of our series I want you to ask yourself today all the life hacks and the goals and the processes and systems we've discussed. How's your identity? Are you seeing yourself through the right lens of a person who could have victory or are you self-defeating by hearing those voices in your head that say you're lazy, you're a failure, you're worthless, you're unhealthy, you're no good, you can't. Or are you saying, no, this is who I am. I'm a more than a conqueror. I'm this kind of person. I'm the kind of person that does the things I'm trying to do work from a better identity. And I believe on a spiritual level that starts with knowing who we are in God's eyes. Loved, arms open wide saying, I just, would you accept my love? And when we do, we find out that we are forgiven, accepted, free, conquerors, heirs together. We are so much more. We are God's children. If you can get your identity figured out, there's the steps to figure out the behavior. But you start with the beliefs. So what I want to do today as we close, we always have a couple minutes to be quiet. We'll take just a minute today. What I want to ask you to do in the next few moments is I want to ask you to take this quiet moment online or in person and just think about what Jesus did for us. In fact, if you're in the room today, we have communion cups in the seats in front of you, and we'd encourage you, drink, or the seats behind you, we'd encourage you to drink this quiet time to take those out and take communion on your own without any cues. Just, just take the bread and the juice at your convenience during this moment of quietness. 
If you are in the room or watching online and you've never received God's love, you've never received his grace, you've never accepted your identity of being loved by God, rescued by God, you've never put your faith in him, today would you do that? Would you accept the gospel? Would you accept the good news that God is love? Would you pray in this quiet moment and say, God, I believe you love me. God, I believe that you care for me. And right here, right now, dear God, right here and right now. I'm putting my trust in you. I accept what you've done for me and who I am in you. And start answering the identity question by believing on Jesus Christ. And then, if you've done that, maybe you're a believer watching online or in the room and you struggle because you've put your faith in Christ, but you're still believing the lies of the devil. You're still believing the enemy. The voices are still telling you you're no good, you're whatever. Tell them no. Tell God that you repent of forgetting to believe that you're loved and valued and and accept today your new identity. Believe that and thank him and from there decide that you're going to walk out of here in that identity so, as Paul said, so that we can do the good works he's called us to do. But let's begin with identity. I'll pray. Take communion if you want to. Dream prayer. Pray. Receive Christ. And as soon as I'm done praying, we're going to start giving you that moment to pray. And then the worship team is going to go straight into song. And we'll finish up the service together. But take a moment with a God who loves you more than anything.